So we want to kick off tonight with uh, what's your story? What's your story? Um, I was changed my life, and I encourage you to get this book. This is Donald Miller's A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. It's a little bit older, but it is an amazing book. I want to really encourage you guys to get this. This changed my life. My friend C.D. Woods gave me this book. Not this one, but another. I always give it away. So he gave me a book, uh, this book, Donald Miller's A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And I read it when we first came to Colorado. And I remember I was just sort of struggling with the direction of where Keystone was going. Should we start really big and in a big high school auditorium? And we had raised all this money and we were going to do all these flyers and marketing. And, and then I thought to myself, my God, is that really the story that I want, that I see myself as writing or as God writing in me? Is that really who I'm created to be? And this book really, really defined and helped me define my story and help me edit my story. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we move on. But let me read you some, a quote right from the very beginning. It says, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put a record on to think about the story you'd seen. The truth is, you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. <laughs> but we spend years actually living those stories and accept our lives and expect our lives to feel meaningful. The truth is, if we want to choose to do if, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. Isn't that good? In other words, he's saying that if, 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 if moments in our lives don't mean anything, it won't make a good story. And if it doesn't make a good story, it doesn't make a good life. This is an amazing journey that I can't wait to take us on. I can't wait to take me on. I'm excited about hearing our stories. Carl was really the one who prompted this series. We were golfing, and he was talking about stories. He would listen to folks in Brazil, and they would sit and just listen to their story. And a couple things about a story that I, that I learned is, number one, you have to be present. You have to be in the now to hear a story. And when you, some, Someone who's a good listener is, is really someone who understands the present, someone who understands the now. Their mind isn't drifting. They're not looking at their phones. They're not looking over your shoulder at the next thing. They're in the moment. They're really interested in you. They really are interested in your story. One of the things that I found out working at Focus is when I'm on the phones, people just want to tell you their story. They really don't, most of the time, they really don't need or want advice. They just want someone to hear them. They want someone to hear their story. They want someone to acknowledge that they are alive. And they call every day. And we get them every day. Every day. And sometimes it's the same people calling every single day. Why? They want to be recognized. They just want someone to recognize that they're alive and they exist and they have a story. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, Look, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I've come that you might have life and that to the fullest. Jesus came to give us the best story. 
He says in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. He says in Philippians that I've created you for my good pleasure and my works to do my will. We are part of this narrative. We are part of a play where God is writing this beautiful script and this beautiful story about our lives. The cool thing is, is we get to play a major part in that. He gives us this thing called free will to make decisions and to maybe change the script a little bit and to make, maybe take this route or maybe take that route or maybe take this uh, uh, agenda down the road or, or take this way that we never thought about because we have this ability to choose and react and respond. It's amazing how God orchestrates our lives in this beautiful thing called our story. This will break up into three parts. The first one will be, what's your story? The second one will be, what's our story? And finally, we'll end with, what's, what's his story? Or his story, and how we all play into that. I'm really excited to share this with you guys. I love listening and being part of someone's story, but I also love watching God unfold my story. One of the things that Donald Miller said was that if we'll just stay present, we'll recognize that even in the mundane, there are great stories. And a lot of mundane things, a lot of principally simple things that are added up together create an amazing story. It's just recognizing those things that you think as of mundane or not important, if you'll recognize and have perspective and have right sight and vision and lens to see that as part of what God is doing in the overall picture of your life, then that thing actually becomes your story. And one of the things Bob Goff, another guy I, I encourage you to read, he's got tons of blogs and he's, he's fun to follow on Twitter, Bob Goff writes down every memory he has. He writes down everything. He writes down when he spilled coffee in his lap and what happened, how he reacted. He writes it in a memoir. In a, in a memoir. He writes down every memory he has. He writes down when he sees a sunset that takes his breath away. He writes down the first time his kid walked. He wrote down the first time they had a spaghetti party. He wrote down the first time that he uh, heard a, a, a bird sing and he can remember it. And this is what Bob Goff said. He said, when I die... I want to have something to talk to God about. Isn't that good? I want, to have, I want to have a conversation with God. And if I go to heaven or I go to eternity and I just say, uh, yeah, there was some really cool stuff that happened in my life, I don't think that God and I will have a lot to talk about. When you remember your story, you remember the mundane, you remember the everyday, you remember the supernatural and the positive, but you also remember the little things that make up most of our lives, that's when your story begins to really come to life. It's the tiny little things. I was thinking today, I was just sitting in my office, most of the time sitting in my chair trying to write. And, well, you saw what I wrote. And I was sitting there, I was reading a little bit, and I'd get in the Word a little bit, and I'd sit and I'd just look out the window. And I'd watch the flag wave. And I thought, this is exactly what he's talking about. I should write this down. I'm sitting here struggling to give you an outline or whatever, a PowerPoint, whatever. But I'm not going to miss the wind and the way it moves the flag in all different directions, in different ways, in different forms and shapes. And so I wrote it down. I, I, I have to start somewhere, right? And then it got me, it got me thinking. And my mind sort of travels like dominoes. Like once I, once I hit a thought over, then it goes to another, to another, to another. And somehow I remember our old, our old house in the middle of the country, and Luke was about two or three. And Luke has always sat behind me, still does to this day. And when we drive, he's always sat. His car seat was behind me in the driver's seat. Or, or I should say 
sits behind the driver's seat. And I remember our house faced east. We were coming home from church one night, back when they still had church at night. Oh, we still have church at night. Sunday night. And uh, the moon was rising in the east. And he said, Daddy, Daddy. I said, what, buddy? The moon, Daddy, the moon. Look at the moon. And he just kept saying it over and over and over. The moon, the moon. Look at the moon, the moon, the moon. And I thought to myself, what a cool story. T today, that just came back to me. So you know what I did? I wrote it down. I wrote that, that, that little memory down as something precious to me. And then, I, and then, of course, that domino led to another one. I started thinking about my father-in-law, what a tender-hearted man he was to, to, my grandkid, to, to my kids, to his grandkids. Luke would literally, Jimmy would hold Luke, and if he, he always chewed gum. Jimmy always had gum in his mouth. And Luke would grab his face and turn it like that. He'd grab his face. What you got, Papa? What you got, Papa? And he always had gum in his pocket. And Luke would just reach right in there like he owned. He had total carte blanche with Jimmy. And he'd reach in his pocket and he'd grab a piece of gum and he'd chew it. It was just one of those memories. I said, I'm going to write that down. The, the point I'm trying to make is that I've got millions of those. But how many times do we go through life and we think, oh, that, that's no big deal. I'll remember that. Or that's, that's just part of life. Or that's just part of growing up. And we don't remember them. See, that's what makes our stories so unique. And I think that the old fathers had it best when they said, if you'll think with your pen, you'll be remembered forever. Isn't that good? If you'll think with your pen, you'll be remembered forever. Not necessarily you, but your story. I'm excited to also share with you the, the way that we can express our stories to others. Not only do we have a story that's being written, but we have a story that needs to be heard. You have a story. You have a story that's still in narrative. You have perhaps a, an action. Maybe you're in the middle of an action film right now. Or maybe you're in the middle of a drama. Maybe you're in the middle of a romance. Maybe you're in the middle of a mystery. And you don't know where the next step is going to be. Maybe you're in the middle of a documentary. I mean, that's, I don't know. Maybe it's like a slideshow. And you're like, oh my God, this is so boring. I do the same thing every day, every day. I hear the same people every day, every day. When is my life going to get exciting? Trust me, enjoy the documentary time of your life, all right? Because it can get really scary out there. Maybe you're in a thriller. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a, uh, I wrote that down, a suspense. You don't know what's going on. Maybe you're in a horror movie. <laughs> I don't know, but God is part of this thing. And you're and you're writing your story, and your story needs to be heard. So you, your story not only is being written, your story is being heard. And it's okay to share your story. And finally, your story needs to be, you need to be the listener of a story. We need to be able to be, again, like I said in the beginning, to be present in the moment, attentive to what people are trying to say. One of the things I think we lack in today's culture are stories. We just don't have stories. We don't have any experiences. Our young people, you ask them to share a story or you ask them to share an adventure and they're like, you know, I got to level 17 on zombie killer action something, right? And you're like, who cares, right? That's not a story. I remember growing up on a farm and, and I remember all the different experiences that I had growing up on a farm, baling hay and, and learning. Listen, learning how to change a tractor tire, that is something that will change your life. It's... <laughs> frustrating and hard, but it's part of my story. It's part of who made me me. 
baling hay when I was 13 years old and I couldn't lift the bale off the chute. One time I had a hay hook and I speared myself right in the side of the knee. I had missed and just whap. And it's one of those, ow, pull it out. Part of my story. One time a farmer came to my house and he said, man, I need to pay you for the week. And I said, man, thank God. I mean, I was 12, 13 years old. He says, here's $100. And I'm like, oh my word, $100. I looked at it and looked at it like a new pair of shoes. Just couldn't stop looking at it. Looking at it, looking at it. And, you know, my dad said, well, you, I think you owe him some hours. I'm like, are you crazy? Do you know what I did for this $100? Time and time again, I reminded now of things in my life that made me who I am. Growing up even in a very, very strict religious culture made me who I am. It made me appreciate the other side of the coin, if you will. I wouldn't want to trade that. That's part of my story. See, our culture today needs to have a story. They need to go on adventures. They need to, Rachel, they need to get sick in a Mexico cheesy hotel room and have some crazy guy bring you soup. I mean, it's part of our story together. We have a story. Planting trees and cleaning bat-infested caves. I mean, it was... (laughs) Thank you. Yes, eating a whole chicken in a pot. Where Are they going to clean it? No, that is clean. That's it. Figure it out. Part of our story. I want to encourage us. Brock and I, uh, one time, they were visiting here a couple years ago, and we went up to Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. And we rode the little trammy thing up to the to top there where the earths are and all that. And a storm was rolling in. And, I mean, everybody was panicking. And they, they shut down the tram. like, And literally people were in fear. How are we going to get down? How are we going to get down? And people are like, calm down. It's okay. We're going to send little um, golf carts with the, you know, extra seats and all that come up. So they're making their rounds, and they had those little golf carts, and they brought, I don't know, 10 or 12 people down at a time. There's probably 50 or 60 people up there. Brock and I made a decision. I said, I'm going to be the last one off this mountain. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to see lightning. I want to see the storm roll in. I want to live. I want a story about this day. You see, people who get in the golf cart early, they don't have a story. I do. Lightning struck right beside us. I mean, literally, right beside us. We're watching a storm roll in. And I don't know if you've ever been up there. If you look to the left, you can sort of see down the north side of the, the range there. And, man, we're just standing there, and it started to pour down. And people are, the rest of the people are running into the earth. I'm like, I'm not running into an earth. I'm standing here. I want a story. Man, we got a great story. We had a great memory. Another time with Brock, we were in Aspen, and we were riding our bikes from Snowmass to Aspen. And we descended like 2,000 feet, and then, well, how many of you know in Colorado, when you descend 2,000 feet, what's next? you got to go up 2,000 feet. I mean, we were flying at 50 miles an hour down Snowmass by this, by this golf course. I mean, just incredible. And we were going faster than the speed limit. We were passing cars. And it was, you know, scary as hell. But um, I thought, I th- here's what's going through my, man, if anything, if I hit a pothole, I'm done. If a squirrel runs out in front of me, I'm done. You know, you're on 23 millimeter tires. You know, you're done. You're, you're done. Your life's over. Ah, who cares? Let's go, man. So then we get uh, through this, this river, and this river had a big fork in it. It was called the Grand Fork River, I think, that runs through there. I'm not sure. It was pretty wild. It was pretty alive that day. Lots of white caps and stuff. 
And we were walking our bikes. It was, it was so steep. And finally, we got to some level ground and started riding again. And we saw this deer crossing the river. And this deer was struggling to get over to this little island. And it was just, just getting beat up by the, the, the current. And I'm like, there's no way that deer is going to make it across that river. He says, man, we should take a video of this. I said, no, Brock, this is just a memory that God's created just for us. Just for us. Stay in the moment. You know what? We got a story. We have a story that no one else has. I'm reminded of uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, one of my favorite movies as, as of late. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but Sean Penn is capturing the snow leopard. And he's trying, he sits on this mountain for God knows how long, and he's full of life, and he's full of a journey. The whole movie is about Walter Mitty trying to find his own story. And if you watch it, you'll really resonate with it. And this really resonates with me in this series, actually. And so Walter Mitty lives a very gray life. He lives, if you, if you notice all the backdrops, he's in a very sort of uh, cookie-cutter apartment. He has a cookie-cutter job. As a matter of fact, he cuts film. I mean, just all the small little nuances baked into this movie to tell us that Walter Mitty really doesn't have a life. Brock actually bought me the book, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, found one copy in England and shipped it over for me. Still have it. All the little stories. Walter Mitty then finds, as you know, he goes down this great adventure and he's skateboarding down the, I don't know, some Icelandic road and gets blown up by a volcano and he's, what's he doing? He's finally living a story. He has a story. The whole thing is culminated when he gets up to the mountain in uh, uh, Nepal and there is Sean Penn under a cover trying to capture the snow leopard. And the snow leopard is one of the most elusive animals on the planet. And so finally the snow leopard reveals himself. And Sean says one of the greatest, his character says one of the greatest quotes, that beautiful things don't demand attention. Your story will be yours to share, yours to write, and yours to live. I just want to encourage us throughout this series to take a risk. Stories take risks. Stories take the unknown. Um, if we live every day the same way, uh, I would even encourage you to take a different route to work, to stop at a different gas station, to shop at a different store, to uh, do something completely out of your routine and just see what God will do with your life. What will he do with your story? What if you struck up a conversation with a complete stranger and listened to their story? What if you heard someone else's perspective in life? And what if you heard someone else's point of view? Let's hear their life through their lens, whether broken or healed or whatever. What about how we look at others and we say, man, I never saw it that way, or I never really realized that that point of view existed, and I really appreciate and under, try to understand where you're coming from. I think that at that point, we'll, our stories begin to intermingle, and our stories become symbiotic with one another, and we realize how much we really have in common. Let me also just encourage you in this. We have had so much trauma visualized in our, in our culture today. I mean, it's just one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And uh, we forget that there's a lot of really, really good stories happening in the United States right now. Really good stuff happening. Um, we are, I think the, um, I, was, I had a sort of an embryonic revelation. I was trying to process through it. And I thought that the media was kind of like a circus, that if the rings aren't active, 
everybody will leave the tent. So they got to keep filling the rings with something to keep people engaged in the circus. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if I fully developed that thought, but I don't think they really care what it is they're presenting. I think as long as they can capture you with something, they'll keep you in the tent. If something's going on in the ring, if there's a dog and a clown and a pig and a horse and an elephant, hey, I'm here for the entertainment. I think news has come, become just that. It's become entertainment to you and I. And so we click the TV on and we become entertained and captured in the drama of whatever. What's that? Yeah. Anyway, that's a little side note. Take risks. Allow God to begin to develop your story. Allow him to partner with him. When Teresa and I came out to Colorado, we said, okay, God, here's our plan or here's our script. I love this about us because we really prayed about it. We walked around, well, she would walk around our house at night and we had several things that needed to happen, right? You had to sell a house. You had to, in a, in a down market, you had to get a job. You had to get schools. You had to find a place to live. And all these things were 1,800 miles away. I mean, we didn't know, or uh, 1,200 miles away. We didn't know how or where or, or what this what was all going to play out and the risk of, so what are you doing? We're planting church. It, where? Uh, Colorado Springs. Why? <laughs> right, that was the next question. Why? Um, I don't know. That's what we feel God told us to do. Okay. Well, Teresa and I said to the Lord, here's our script. Here's what we think should happen in this narrative. Here's what we think should happen in this play. The Bible says in Proverbs, if you'll present your plans unto the Lord, he will direct your path. Uh, direct your path. And so we kind of got this whole theater play type thing going. Like, okay, Lord, here's our script. We think that we should sell our house first, right? Have the extra money. We should probably get a job. Uh, we should probably have a school and a house, right? Cool. Well, we presented that to the Lord. And Lord, I think the Lord said, hey, good plan. I like it. Let me direct it a little bit, though, because this is going to make a better story. You tracking with me? So he takes this and he says, all right, yep, I think you're supposed to go. I, I want you to go to Colorado Springs. I don't think I'm, I want you to go to Colorado Springs. All the things lined up, all green lights. We had really good affirmations and yeses from the Lord and yeses from other people we trusted. And we said, okay, here we come. Lots of good altars and breadcrumbs as we call them. So the first thing we needed to do was sell our house. And we had to ignore it. I said, well, I'm not making a move until our house sells. Well, the house doesn't sell, doesn't sell, doesn't sell, doesn't sell, doesn't sell, doesn't sell. I'm like, oh, no, God, no, oh, man. If this house doesn't sell, we're, we don't have the money to do what we need to do. So it was, anyway, the story is it was completely backwards. But when we took the risk and decided to partner with God on this journey, he filled in all the blanks. And he said stuff like this. Oh, I'll give you a house way, way beyond your expectations. You guys all remember the, the Leon Young home. It was 4,800 square feet. We have four people. We each had, in, uh, in uh, my estimation, what, uh, about uh, 1,100 square feet, 1,200 square feet apiece to ourselves. Let me think about it. 4,800 square feet. Anyway, well, that's where God knew we needed to start our church. And we need a big basement to house all the kids. And I didn't know that, but he did. And Teresa meets with the realtor and says, or the, the agent says, hey, we really like this house. Houses were going like this. There was a fire on the mountain. People's houses were gone and burned up. And she says, oh, just give me a, a check for 100 bucks and I'll hold it for you. I, and I won't even cash it. What? 
you, if you guys know, that was unheard of here. You couldn't do that here. $100 held a house. Teresa got the job of jobs, man. She like quadrupled her income. Now the guy was a psycho, but it was great money. It was amazing. I'm like, this is really going to work. Matter of fact, when we got the call, we were in a bank. Remember, we were at Chase Bank, and you got the call, you got the offer, and you looked at me, and you said, I guess you can keep your BMW. Like, sweet, sweet. Keep my Beamer, yes. God or orchestrated that. House still hadn't sold. We came out on a couple scouting trips. Man, Luke, Liberty High School is for me. Lily got a TCA, should not have gotten into TCA in fifth grade. You're like, there's a waiting list for frozen embryos at TCA. I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't get it. I just don't get it. You know, I go there every day. It's frustrating. No buses. I mean, you got to drive. Every person at that school drives. Lily got in, fifth grade. Just opened up a new class. Wow, okay. House still hadn't sold. We were talking to, and I forgot about this until today, I was staring at the flag, waving in the wind. There was a, uh, a Jordanian that wanted to rent our house for a doctor, and he was going to pay us an entire year of rent. I'm like, well, that's a good deal. I don't have to worry about it for a year. That's awesome. So I'm like, I think we're going to do that because it wouldn't sell. Teresa and I talked about it, prayed about it. We just couldn't get peace about that whole situation. And then we said, we're going to go. We're just going to trust God. I don't know if the house is going to sell or not. If we have to pay two mortgages, we pay two mortgages. I still see it in my mind. Our big U-Haul sitting in our driveway with a big trailer attached to it behind it. I'm, I'm taking out an old desk that I hated, but we tried to make the best of it. I'm putting it on the curb. I'm taking my golf clubs and throwing them across the street because I don't want to golf anymore. I'm just like, all of our garbage is on there, and I'm looking, and we get a call from the realtor. She says, hey, can I come over? And we get, it's 1030 at night. Sure. We just had a full offer on your house. And the couple wants to come and look at it. Tonight? Sure. Come on. So remember that? We were walking around. We just had a few items left in the house. And I'm like, hey, you want that? You want that? We actually got to meet the buyers of the house. And he was a guy that I had befriended at a refinery that bought my house. I prayed with him. I blessed him, blessed the house. I said, this house is going to be a blessing to you and your family. And we left. If you'll take the risk, and I think the biggest thing about story, Daniel, is trust. Trust. When you trust God to direct your story, listen, write it. Have plans. They're good. They're good. God likes plants. He doesn't mind plans. Write them out. I'm not a planner, but my, I like, you know, my wife is, so that's cool. I, 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 I think God likes plans. I think he likes it. Present them to him. Present your plan to the Lord, and he'll make it straight. He'll direct it. I'm so excited to share this with you. If you guys want, get this. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. I was walking through uh, Barnes & Nobles today on purpose. I could have ordered it on Amazon, but I wanted to go to a bookstore today. And I sat and I read the first two chapters in an aisle. But well, stood there and read the first two chapters. Reading in a bookstore, sipping a coffee. We have amazing stories, my friends, and people around us have amazing stories. And I love how God orchestrates. Kevin always says this. He says, every message here at Keystone has a thread that runs through it. From the very beginning to now, 
has the same sort of thread that runs through every message. And I love how God connects our messages together. Like our gifts, the gift series, it just naturally leads to your story. Because your gift is really a part of your story. And if you allow your gift to come alive in you, so will your story. Your story will come alive, and your story will be an incredible narrative, and your, your story only because you allow the gifts of God to flow through you. Isn't that fun? So I'm excited. Any comments, feedback before we wrap up tonight? Michael. Yeah, thanks for the endorsement. Honestly, um, I know, Mike, you and I have talked a lot about this. The subtitle is How I Learned to Live a Better Story. So uh, it's worth it, guys. Invest in this. A lot of the stories I'll be sharing will be from this. A lot of the principles will be from this book and others. Um, he's got um, Anne Lamott wrote a book called uh, Treasure and Tre Treasures, Treasures on the Way or something like that. Um, yeah. Anybody else? Well, cool. Yeah, Dana. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> hmm. So good. Okay. Right, right. It's good. It's really good. That's good. Yeah, one of the exercises I want to really do later on, but you prompted it, was to write your gravestone. You know, how, how do you wish to remember? And maybe some of you have done that. I don't know. But what, what would be said about you? I remember doing that exercise in like fourth grade. Yeah. I'm like, fourth grade? What? I'm like, I want to I wanna be a roller coaster designer. I don't know. I mean, fourth grade, Daniel. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. Can you email me, can you text me those questions later? That's really, I want to remember those. That's good. Yeah, ask those questions with those things in mind and you're free. Yeah, so good. One of the things I love about, um, I know I reference this a lot lately, uh, but golfing and how I think God really brought that gift back to me. Honestly, it sounds so weird, but for someone to sow those clubs into my life and then to have a passion for it again, I think it's for this moment. Number one, in golf, you have to stay in the moment. You have to stay in the now. You have to stay right where you are, slow your breathing, and, and just let it go. It's so fascinating. And the second thing about it is the people you meet. When you're, when you're doing a twosome, I don't know if you know this, but in golf, they try to do foursomes. And so if you're just a twosome, they'll pair you with complete strangers. And there's been three times already that I've met some fascinating people golfing. You would think that's so silly, but... Fascinating. You listen to their stories. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, you guys are pastors? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Mark. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Perspective, yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A different perspective. Exactly. Perspective. So good. So good. God, it's good, guys. Anything else tonight? Um, just to your point, uh, Dana, this was like all ugly. They, they held nothing back. The Old Testament is like really ugly, right? I mean, there's some jacked up people. And then we get the redemption story and the rest, which isn't always perfect either, right? I mean, it's, I love, that's what I love about the, the Word of God. It's just so raw. Here, here's how we lived. Here's what we did. Today I was mowing the lawn, and I was thinking again about how women have been, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I was thinking about uh, how in Hebrews it, it talks about us growing up in the faith, right? And in Second Peter, First and Second Peter, he's 
He's talking about that as well, growing up in the faith. And I was thinking about the, the, the people of God's story. And I thought, I thought, for some reason, I was thinking of Lot and how depraved his mind had become that he would give his own daughters up to the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if you remember that story, but I'm thinking about how depraved. But then I thought the dominoes were falling. They didn't really care back then about women that much. It's true. I mean, I mean it's terrible to say, but they, the value on women was really, really low. And then I was thinking about Hebrews. You know, hey, you used to, and I was thinking about a Hebrew person thinking about them drinking milk. Hey, remember when we used to not think women were very cool, and now they're really, really cool? We're growing. God wrote a story, and this is what's really fascinating about him. I think he's like, the whole story is us as children growing up into adulthood, not just individually, but corporately, historically, that God, like, had infants through the fall, they were infants. They didn't know what they were doing. They were, hey, don't poop in the camp. Oh, okay. We didn't know that. You know, that's what little kids do. They poop in the camp. But God had to tell his people, don't poop in the camp. You know, cook your food. You need to cook your food. Like, why would God write the book of Leviticus? Because they were babies. They didn't understand. They didn't understand. Oh, we got to take a bath? Yeah, that's good. Take a bath, and when you're dirty, don't, you know, don't do that. That's nasty. Don't do the nasty when you're nasty, all right? Come on. Why? They were babies. And now we look back and like, wow, how far have we grown? Isn't that fascinating? That now we, well, for the most part, hopefully, we're learning still, respecting women. And I know still we've got a million miles to go, but we respect women. They, they're held in higher esteem than they've ever been. I mean, think about our own nation's history. Where they couldn't even vote. You're dumb. You're a woman. You can't vote. What? We're only talking a couple hundred, we're only hundred years ago. You see how God is writing this story. The thing about a story is it's, he's very patient at writing it. Very patient. Very patient. We're like, come on, we got to get to the end. Oh, no, no, no. Let's take our time here. So let's include the ugly. Because it's good. It belongs. Let's include the sin. What? Yeah, it belongs. Let's include the murder and the death and the rape. Why? It belongs because I'm going to redeem all that. I have to show you that so I can redeem the rest. It's really going to be good. 